Hi, I'm Victoria Starek Samalin, co-founder and director of strategy at the Council on Geostrategy, a new foreign affairs think tank based in the heart of London. And this is Geostrategy 360, our weekly podcast which discusses current geopolitical and environmental security issues with politicians, government and military officials, business people and experts. Last Friday marked 100 days since the beginning of the Russian reinvasion of Ukraine. In the 100 days since the Kremlin started its so-called special military operation in Ukraine, Ukraine is still standing strong. The fierce resistance of the Ukrainian nation, coupled with the unity of the Euro-Atlantic community on the need to support Ukraine in defeating Russia's imperialist ambitions, administered a blow to the Kremlin. No matter how loudly the Russian propaganda machine can claim the contrary, the facts on the ground prove that there have been no significant successes in the Russian war, which will soon bypass 110th day mark. Yet the outcome of this war is far from clear and Ukraine is still fighting for its territorial integrity, independence and sovereignty each day and is paying a huge human and economic price. And I'm absolutely delighted to have an opportunity to discuss the current situation on the ground with His Excellency Vadim Pristaiko, who is Ukraine's ambassador to the United Kingdom. His Excellency Vadim Pristaiko previously was Ukraine's Deputy Prime Minister for European Relations in 2020 and Foreign Minister of Ukraine from 2019 to 2020. He joined the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine back in 1997. Over the years, he also has held multiple diplomatic positions, including the Ukrainian Ambassador to Canada and Ukrainian Representative to the International Organization of Civil Aviation. Ambassador Pristaiko, welcome to Geostrategy 360. Thank you very much. So let's maybe start our conversation with a brief overview and your view on the situation, how it has developed since the reinvasion back in February. Thank you. I specifically noticed, and I'm very thankful for the word reinvasion, because we have still have to remind people that this the war hasn't started for Ukrainians just just recently. It was not obviously it was not February. What we've been dealing with and be fighting for almost seven and a half years by that time. And it already costed us 13 and a half thousand lives and seven, seven percent of territory, 27 percent of industrial outcome. So this, the, the price we were paying it was quite considerable. Europeans will be probably easier to understand the pain of two, almost two million people internally displaced. And those people who were managed to actually sort of have keep it in Ukraine and reabsorb them in our society, give them another jobs, another houses to live in, just, just being still within Ukraine, being a part of our society, not allowing them to get into Europe and somehow even make the, the whole problem of immigration even worse. So, Ambassador Pristaiko, um, many things have changed, of course, since the reinvasion back in February, when it comes to um, the assault on different parts of the country, also, well, the tactics from the Russian side. So, what are the current developments on the ground? What is different? There are so many things which are different. There are so many things are similar. And Russians seem to be reading from the same textbook. I was recently checking how the war against Finland was unfolding even before the Second World War started. So that's, that's, they're doing the same. They're, they're lying to their own people, raising the uh, sort of awareness of the hostile surrounding around them, sometimes hostile enough to threaten the existence of, of Russian Empire, or Soviet Union, Russia, same projects, just different names. Just to pre- prepare their people, prepare their economy, prepare their political system for imminent attack. And then they're trying to do it around the globe. Those nations who are listening to them 
start to try to understand and, you know, even in share the concerns. The rest of the world understand that Russia is preparing for yet another invasion, another cycle of their development, which is unfortunately the truth on the ground that Russians, that's the way the Russian society is developing. It's been not, it's not news. It's been over the centuries and centuries and centuries. So on top of usual tactics, usual, you know, this coming, grabbing part, establishing the some puppet regime, call it, some people's people's republic. It was Kharkiv People's Republic in 1990, 1918, 17. All these years after this, the uh, revolution in uh, in St. Petersburg, it happened the seven years in 2014 in the Ukrainian East, and it's happening right now as we speak. They're trying to recently sort of establish something next to Kherson, which they recently invaded. So that's that's the tactic. What what is new is there. You know, they, they all after, after Soviet Union, they obviously struggling with the financial situation. The army was neglected. So now when they managed to pump up some of the money they received from the oil and gas and good prices over the years, they invested in an army and they invested in some equipment. And then suddenly they decided that they can do whatever they want. They can achieve the victory on their own terms everywhere. So they started with going in Ukraine in all the directions at the same time, which was probably miscalculation, was overestimation of their own might and underestimation of our stubbornness and readiness to maintain our nation and, and, and defend our way of living and our geopolitical perspectives in certain directions. And this what this uh, this particular attempt failed. This is what new. They managed to get easier in, in Georgia. They allowed themselves to be victorious in Transnistria, finally they found somebody worse as an opponent in Ukraine. So, well, from what we are currently seeing, the primary target right now is Donbass region, of course. Could you please shed some light on what's happening there? See, the, the tactic is changing and the priorities the same. So that they were talking about things which are now, now like months ago, we heard each and every nation, every speech, the denazification, the demilitarization, all these D-long words. Now they are talking about that. No, we even didn't even have it in our mind. We, we always wanted to defend and protect the newly uh, established republics with whom we just yesterday we recognized it. And next day they, we signed the agreement to defend them and provide them uh, technical and defense uh, protection. And then we now get to fight with the independent nation next to us just to defend these newly created things created by themselves as well. So that's the, 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 the situation on the ground. They managed to get almost to the end of the administrative borders of Lugansk, this part of this LNR DNR, which we were talking about the last seven years, totally uh, irrelevant part of, of Ukraine for many people from outside of Ukraine. It's not the best developed, is there is nothing to to specifically be bragging about, but that's the part where they managed to you know to enroot themselves and they keep pushing, keep 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 shooting at us and maintaining this low intensity low intensity conflict. So the the bigger part, which is Donetsk, is the, much more difficult for them. But what they're trying to achieve, at least to get to the administrative borders, and then I guess to rethink the priority whether they have enough strength to go further or at this particular moment declare that actually that was what we wanted from the very beginning and we're happy with the result. 
Ambassador, well, of course, um, since the reinvasion back in February, uh, Euro-Atlantic open, free and open nations have expressed not only diplomatic support to Ukraine, but also provided lots of military support, humanitarian assistance, economic support. So I would like to, to ask for your views on, first of all, um, the contribution from the United Kingdom. Um, what has been done so far and what do you think still could be done to help Ukraine? just happened to be here in this nation, happened to be appointed to this nation where I found that this is a nation which understood and understands right now what is happening. And probably there is something inherited in the, in the relationships between the UK and Russia and the Russian Empire for over, over many, many years. Probably something which allowed people here and the political elite to understand easily what Russia even uh, trying to achieve. Maybe this is because of the of the Brexit, when nation now doesn't have to look at, at all the rest of the European uh, neighbors and partners and try to you know to find to build up this consensus among many different nations with, with different priorities and different contexts, even with Russians themselves. So this is maybe this is just what been told about global Britain independent in their assessment. Of the situation and actually not just a situation but their own capabilities of how to deal so that's that's a sort of background then the support of the nation nationwide the popular support you know we will be discussing quite often what is the role of, of premier boris johnson what is the position of the conservative party laborers and then the rest what is the uh, expert circle are saying what the papers are saying but in reality, what we're facing right here, that's this nationwide support of many people, which has nothing to do with geopolitics, had difficulties probably even to point, pinpoint some of the uh, key Ukrainian cities on the map. They just never had experience of cooperating with Ukrainians. Even these people just opened their houses and opened their hearts for many Ukrainians who had to flee when they were started. So this is the, the complex sort of picture of the total nationwide support which allows us to be where we are right now with the supply of, of political support, with economic support, assistance in the, providing the uh, little equipment, medical supply, sometimes even food. Um, I also wanted to ask uh, for your view on recent remarks by President Macron, President of France. So he recently expressed the following. He said that we must not humiliate Russia so that the day when the fighting stops, we can build an exit ramp through diplomatic means. I am convinced that it is France's role to be a mediating power. How do you evaluate these remarks? I want to. I don't want to uh, argue with the president of, of friendly nation, which we still consider uh, France to be, and which was playing the role over these years. Not very successful, but it was attempt to, to, in diplomatic terms, to come to the understanding and stop the fighting, and still uh, didn't work to the best. But who can argue what would be different if if they never tried? investment of this political will on the on the France and German side is enormous and the political leaders, presidents, chancellors were trying to achieve something and it always failed. Not because of the tries, of the intensity of the tries, but rather of the stubbornness of Russia. This is something 
which President Macron probably is not taking into account. He's still going the same the same way as his predecessor did, and was he was trying to achieve from the first days of his of his presidency. He somehow believes that Putin is somebody we have to argue and actually find better terminology to you know to somehow get to his heart. And many people were already trying to look into his eyes, found the soul. It has been done before. Probably they are last ones to the queue of many political leaders around the globe who were trying to do the same. And the problem with them, and I believe that's the West, general West, not just the European Union or nations in the West. Some nations are not in the West. Some nations like Australia and Japan supporting us, they're totally in different parts of the globe. But they are missing the point. They are trying to come with the same ruler which can be applied to them, the rationality. They are rationally trying to understand what is what's the problem with Putin, what he needs. Just another, I don't know, 100 kilometers of something. And it's sometime, some, I don't know, the NATO won't be encroaching on the, on the border, which Putin was saying, or other things. In reality, the problem with Putin is that he needs at this particular moment one thing. He needs that example of Ukraine, or Ukraine does not exist. And there is nothing we can give. We, we, can, we don't have non-existence of Ukraine, which we can bargain with him. This is the core problem, which, is, which will bring all the attempts to fail. And by the way, when Macron is saying that we have to use diplomacy after, I have to remind him as a professional diplomat, diplomat that actually diplomacy we can apply right now to stop the war, not to rebuild a relationship afterwards. If we manage to achieve what I believe is quite achievable, but it's very difficult to believe for many people in the West, the military defeat of Russia on the battlefields in Ukraine, we won't have to use the diplomacy. We will have to use something like efforts of international community to rebuild better Russia for Russians themselves. It's not diplomacy, it's something different. Um, well, speaking also um, of other European countries, we also know that there's um, a, a problem with Germany, which has failed so far to provide Ukraine with military equipment, which it has promised earlier this year. What do you think is the key reason for this hesitancy and how can this be overcome? Many, many different uh, people will, will, will argue that the core of the problem is just 62% of the gas molecules from Russia in the gas system of, of Germany. And the BASF and other the leaders of the industry have to work with the cheaper gas, which only Russia can give. You know, all of this. We can, we can easily try to drive this, you know, picture from starting from the pipeline that we're trying to build uh, or looking for the uh, figures of how the price of the gas was influencing the price of the products of the Germans on the outer mar markets. It's all true to some extent. At the same time, some people would remind of so-called historic guilt of the Germans towards Russians. And at the same time, the historic guilt held the other side of the coin the, the threat of Russians, they, they're always keeping the top of their, of their mind somewhere. Somebody else will uh, talk about uh, Mother Merkel, who was for so many years in the power, in the center of the gravity of, of German power, and she was personally invested so much. She knew Russian, she understood how, to, and he, she believed that she understood how to, how to deal with Putin. Maybe all of these factors have the right to exist. But at the same time, the, the, the problem with them that generally they just don't understand what Ukraine is. They don't see this strategically, what Ukraine can become for the, for the Germany, what Ukraine can become for the rest of the world. 
some other nations like UK is probably the closer to the strategic vision to understanding why they have to invest, why they have to, you know, risk something to, to defend Ukraine. What will it give to the rest of the world or at least to the close neighborhood of Europe? Recently, the European Union has implemented the sixth package uh, of sanctions against Russia. How do you evaluate this most recent EU sanctions on Russia package and support to Ukraine? And do you feel that enough is being done? If not, then what else could be could be added? We have to remind our European partners that when they are when they are so afraid of of openly uh, telling that you know what the sixth is just yet another step. It's not the final step. Because we escalating in the in the sanctions, but we are not achieving the results. Yes, the result is to get Russians from the independent nation of Ukraine, which we all of us agreed in the final Helsinki document that guys is enough or worse in 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 the European continent. At least can we settle here? That's that's the borders. We are fine with them. We are not going to redraw them, and we are not going to kill people for another kilometer of land and so on and so forth. There's been this sort of order been totally destroyed right now by Russians. So we, 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 we failed to provide, at least here in, in Europe, something, some mechanisms which would allow us to coexist. So all the efforts right now should be directed at returning back to the, to the normality. And this normality is that what is threatened, threatened in, in, at least in this part of the globe. Ukraine also recently applied to join the European Union a couple of days after the re-invasion back in February. How likely is Ukraine to join the EU in your, in your view? And also, what would this symbolize to Ukraine and what would it deliver in practice? We will see how easy it will be for Ukraine, what it really signifies and symbolizes, if you wish, and what's actually reminding Russians of the failure to achieve one very important for them thing, that Ukraine will change their geopolitical course. And we're not. Regardless of the war, despite all the efforts of Russians for diversion, for the killing people, just, just destroying our economy, we are keeping the same geopolitical course, which we opened for them. That's not we are hiding something from them. We told them so many times that, guys, the, uh, the model, the economic model, the political model, the uh, military model you are offering is not attractive to us anymore. We've been with you. It costed us so much in, in our civilization development. Thank you. That's enough is enough. We will go our own way. You can join, by the way. You can be also the part of Western civilization, Western society. You believe that you are the, the bird on your coat of arms looking both ways. That's your own decision. You want to be a bridge between Europe and Asia. We don't. We want to live on one of the shores, and this shore, we're taking part, this is Western. This is our model. We will go that way. We openly told them that free trade with 500 million wealthy customers, this is something our economy needs. The values which come with that, they are not, we don't see anything wrong with them. We are, we are gladly take them on board, and we'll be living with the same values of the democracy, democracy of the, you know, possibility to, to rotate our governments and our elites. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that with free market open economy. That's something we would like to have. Same with the same, Frank, we told them that the NATO is important mechanism for us to provide security because we are not safe being next to you. We might not never go in the war with you, but we, we don't feel safe, which now we, we see the, the, the full reality of this. So we made it open. They didn't like it. 
but instead of just trying to you know somehow, somehow to find the way to us and try to tell us why we should live why we should live together peacefully they as always return to the only mechanisms they have which is the the, the pure military force um, looking ahead, Ambassador Pristaiko, what do you see as the biggest risks um, in the upcoming months which could benefit Russia and weaken Ukraine's resistance? There are some things which would allow, for example, to tank to move freer because the land is solidified right now and Ukrainian soil is very famous or infamous of being a difficult thing to navigate, even on tanks. So the, there are other things which would allow to survive the, the, the weather conditions, the temperature higher. And they believe that they will be able just to, you know, burn down this, totally scorch the land and move one step after another. Somebody was giving me the numbers that they're moving in the pace of 500 meters a day. So sending, and uh, if you wish, throwing so many soldiers into this meat grinder in Ukraine, but because they have so many of them and have so low low attention to their lives and their well-being, they can do it more and more. We are becoming a more and more liberal society, trying to live by the Western standards, and we, we cherish their lives very much, and it's price for Ukrainians, for the society, for the political elite is very high. That's probably their calculations. And they also believe that with the days and the months and the weeks, the support from the West, attention from the West will, will diminish. And the European and the Western, not just elites, but people will see that there are some other problems, there are some other tragedies, some other, I don't know, some other diseases are around. So they, they have to research, refocus somewhere else. This is all the things Russians believe, and also believe that we want to ha have enough, just just you know, strength, internal strength, to be able to defend ourselves for so long. This was all miscalculations. Some of the things are real, like we understand that we can keep the Ukraine on top of the agenda of the media around the globe, constantly and forever. But there is not to the extent which Russians Russians expected. We after the hundred hundred days. In some cases, Ukrainian army became even stronger. The resistance became stronger. We started to receive something we wanted. We asked, we begged for this for months. Now this equipment is getting to us. And by the way, Russians are not having somebody else support. What they have to go, they have to go to the strange regimes like in North Korea or in Afghanistan right now to ask for the military equipment which they are happily selling to them all, all these years along. This is really sad picture. Ambassador, um, how this war can end? Um, what conditions need to be fulfilled in your view? What would Ukraine like to see? Much wiser people than myself would remind you that all wars will end up at the table of negotiations. And from the technical point of view, it's right. But for much sophisticated audience, which we have here, this is probably not the answer. It's not about the table. It's not about piece of furniture where we'll see. The problem is what will be the conditions on which Ukrainian people, not just President Zelensky, but Ukrainian people, would allow our elites to sit at the table and negotiate and finally to come to this understanding what is possible, what is the, within the realm of reality, political reality in Ukraine. And the political reality is that the spectrum is from total defeat militarily, which is still possible. We are not cocky. We understand that Russia is a huge power, huge manpower, and they can throw so many lives that won't be able to, you know, to cope with. On the other side of the spectrum is total defeat, 
achieved by Ukrainian forces with the assistance of our Western friends, which I believe will be even better, not just for, for Russia, but for the order, which will be able to re reset. And we will tell, we will prove to the, end, to the rest of the world, guys, the world order should be preserved. That's what we agreed on you. That's our rules. And whoever is breaking them should be brought to responsibility. I guess that's the uh, the point where we will negotiate and settle will be somewhere here in between two, two of these extremities. Where exactly? It will depend on how much we can put in the fight and how much we're supported by our partners. The reinvasion has started over 100 years ago. So what are the timelines we're talking about? Are we in this for long haul? I, I like the way you describe it that it started 100 years ago. In our case, it started hundreds of years ago. And this is, was, that was our constant historic problem. We, we were having all these centuries, Russians. That's why we believe that if we are not resolving this here and now, they will come again. They will regroup, resupply, retrain, get some more fat by selling more oil and gas, and we'll get back. So with the timeline we're having right now, we, when we stop them, and we will stop them here in Donbass, I, I hope that even the, the, the most radicals of them, they already lost this great idea of taking Kiev or even Kharkiv, which is our biggest, biggest cities. If we, if we stop them here, so the next step will be how to get them off our territory. And by the sign of, of them, you know, digging the trenches in Ukraine and one line after another, meaning in reality that they got this message and they're trying to secure whatever they managed to grab at this moment. This will be difficult because now we will have to attack and we will have to have more people just from, from basics of the military art to get them out of our territory. But I hope by this time, and this timeline will show us, the sanctions will make such an effect on the Russian economy that the agreement with them will be much, much easier to achieve. They will have to feel this pain, at least a fraction of the pain they, we were feeling as Ukrainians right now. And their own people, their own leaders will have to reconsider the options of their great leadership and hopefully to get rid of them. Ambassador Prostaiko, to finish our conversation, we touched on this already, but I just would like you to once again ask you, what are the three key things the United Kingdom can do to help Ukraine to resist this aggression and to win? There are very practical things like long-reaching arm of, of artillery and, and uh, multiple launching rocket systems, which the four letters MLRS now been uh, quoted much more often than four letters NATO in the connection to Ukrainian survival. This is something we need right away, right now. I know the decision was taken just, just days ago by, by Prime Minister Johnson and by the government of Her Majesty to provide the systems to Ukraine. Not in the, in, the, in the numbers we need, but at least that's a great move. We hope that the rest of the world, especially the, the Western world, will follow this suit and will allow us, Ukrainians, to have at the same compar comparable uh, capabilities to get rid of Russians. This is, this is great. You know, another thing is how to support us, to allow us to survive, sometimes financial, just to pay the bills while the economy is back, uh, helping our experts 
of special of the grains, which we are responsible for 100 people, million people around the globe to feed them. We have to feed these people. We have to avoid the, the humanitarian crisis. And if you ask somebody, Ukrainians with our famine on our hands and in Chernobyl, we went for through, through so much that we have this natural tendency to understand the strategy of people. We have to, we have to resolve this issue. And at the end of days, we still hope that Ukraine will be rebuilt and after the war is over. This is, uh, will be probably a huge international effort. I, I do believe that Russians have to pay for everything they destroy. But if the rest of the world is generous enough to help us with that, this will be a very good moment when Ukrainians, after this devastating war, will be able to, you know, to, to see that something beautiful is coming out of this tragedy. And this probably will be new, new, new Ukraine. Ambassador Vristaiko, thank you so much for your time today and for your important insights. And this is Geostrategy 360, the Council on Geostrategy podcast, which discusses current geopolitical and environmental security issues with politicians, government and military officials, business people and experts. You can listen to Geostrategy 360 on all major podcast platforms and you can find all our podcasts on our website www.geostrategy.org.uk slash podcasts. Thank you.